when you're after video intelligence, when you're trying to get visual context of what's happening at work, it requires a whole new set of capabilities you never had to worry about before. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 75. Today, we're talking about turning video security into video intelligence. We've got Tanuj Thuplial joining the show today. Tanuj is an IT engineer and academic researcher turned entrepreneur. He's the co-founder and CEO of Spot AI, a video intelligence company that's helping manufacturers access and leverage video off of their facilities' cameras to make better business and operational decisions. We're diving into some new territory here today, so here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, Tanuj tells us how Spot AI came about, how video is being leveraged today, and quite frankly, how it can be better leveraged in manufacturing. Second, we talk about the growth of Tanuj's company Spot AI, especially recently, and some perspectives as to what it's like coming out of stealth mode as a startup. Finally, Tanuj flips the questions on me, and we have a good, candid conversation about customer feedback. This is definitely something new for the show, so make sure you stick around for that towards the end. As always, you can access the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 75 for every resource mentioned in this episode. And if you're enjoying this show, if you like conversations like this and you want to take part in digital conversations like this as well, think about joining the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. We've got over 500 manufacturing leaders that are consistently helping one another find their next gig, find partners, whatever it might be in the industry to leverage their career and take it to the next level. We have a group of people over there that are helping one another do that. So head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. That'll take you to our group on LinkedIn, and I'll let you right in as soon as you end up over there. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation. It's time to meet up with Tanuj Thuplial. Tanuj, great to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. And as we kick things off, you know, it's starting to get cold here in the Midwest. So I wouldn't mind being out where you are in California where it's a little <laughs> warmer. So I'll ask this, where would we be having this uh, conversation uh, if we were doing it in person? Pick a bar, restaurant, brewery, oh, your yeah. choice. Yeah, so this goes way back to when my career started. And there's a lot of nostalgia attached with this. And this is kind of one of my favorite things about bars and pubs is there are a lot of other memories associated, you know, with, with, you know, drinking the beer. And, you know, for me, it's my career started actually in Taiwan and actually in uh, manufacturing in Taiwan, we had a lot of overseas partners that I used to have to work with and manage. And there was a bar in Taipei called Brass Monkey, which was an expat bar. And I would go there, I would get some, you know, like it was a Guinness, I would always get a Guinness. And then you started to become friends with the other expats there. Um, and, you know, that that's where that's a setting that I'd imagine. It's very dark. There's a dartboard, um, yes. you know, a lot of familiar faces that you get to know. 
That sounds excellent. I thought I was just going to be flying halfway across the country for this conversation. No. Instead, we're we're so so we're flying halfway across the world. We're at Brass yeah. Monkey in in uh, Taipei. So here's my first question. It's as if we're having these beers at Brass Monkey right now. If someone yeah. asks you, it's like, so okay, Spot AI is turning video security into video intelligence. What does that mean? How do you answer that as if you're having a drink with someone? Yeah. So. There's been this amazing change in the world that's happened over the past few years. And this change in the world is that people at work are changing their relationship with their cameras. It used to be that you'd have security people access a camera system once in six months for an emergency. You know, someone broke in, someone hurt somebody, someone stole something. And what's happening is you have this explosion of other personas accessing video off cameras to try to make daily decisions. For example, you have plant managers accessing video to figure out why conveyor belts stopped. You have environmental health and safety officials trying to access video to figure out how did that new hire slip and fall just a week into their new gig a month after the safety week, right? You still have security trying to access cameras to figure out you know, the copper theft or the shrinkage issue. And what's happening is video intelligence, the basic idea is that these camera systems, these surveillance systems, they just weren't built for daily use by all these other non-technical personas. And the workflows that you need when you're after video intelligence, when you're trying to get visual context of what's happening at work, it requires a whole new set of capabilities you never had to worry about before. You need to be mm. able to access a video from anywhere. It's no longer swordfish, you know, five panels, keyboard, mouse, monitor, go into a dark room. You need to be able to search the video easily, and there's emerging AI silicon and AI technologies that you can you can make them really easy to use, can supercharge people's ability to find video. You need to be able to collaborate on video. This is the most interesting one. Mm. And actually share the video with other people in the workplace. Use it for training. Use it to update a work instruction, a SOP, right? Um, and then lastly, you need to be able to scale easily. It has to be easy to add users. It has to be easy mm -hmm. to add more cameras. Right. Yeah. It has to be able to add more locations. So um, that kind of made me interested in this problem is, you know, all these people are trying to access video on cameras. It sucks. Mm -hmm. The buying mm -hmm. experiences suck. The product experiences suck. And post sales, mm -hmm. you don't get any help. Right. Can we be the guru and the easy button for this movement and transformation that's taking place? And our sweet spot is in these underserved critical industries that power our economy, you know, in the US exclusively. So we're looking at industrials, at manufacturing, at warehousing, for example, and seeing enormous headroom to make all these people at work from the frontline workforce all the way to mm -hmm. the C-suite, be able to use video data to make all sorts of decisions on, you know, how to operate the business better, more safely, more efficiently. Yeah, so so if I'm hearing you right, you know, in the past, video was maybe used for more limited uses. And right now we're starting to use it for more, but the video is really not set up to do that, to use it effectively, to collaborate, to share it as as you just said. So this is yeah. this is a cool uh, a, a cool solution that I just learned about recently when I was learning about Spot AI. And I want to dive into it as we get further into this conversation. But Tanuj, I do want to get to know you a little bit first. And, sure. and this is funny. We were talking before the interview. You're, you were a grad student at Stanford, and you're literally the second interview in a row where I've talked to someone that came out of Stanford, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's, uh, it's becoming a theme on here. But was that where the idea for Spot AI was formed? Or tell me the origin yeah. story of the company. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it started with this simple question, which is visual data is so useful and valuable. Why is it so hard to pull data off a camera? Mm. Like, why is it so hard? Like, why do I have to go and replace the cameras with cloud cameras? Why do I need a PhD in IT and I have to know all this stuff about networking and then I need to download codecs in my browser? Like, it was so awfully painful to pull video off a camera. And that intuitively felt like if you made it easier for people to access video off a camera, they would start using visual data and using video in new ways. Mm -hmm. And then two, you know, that was a technical problem, right? It's like, it just didn't make sense to me why, and, and this was 2018, why it was so hard to pull video off a camera. The second mm -hmm. was there are all these underserved industries in the United States that are often the last adopters of new technologies. Yeah. And it felt like if we could go into some of these underserved critical industries and we made it easy for them to use visual data, that's when the two ideas got married together. Yeah. That we could transform how people in these critical industries and industrial verticals, you know, could solve problems every day. And that was kind of the origin story. So there was a technical angle and, you know, we went and we built a prototype. And then from a customer discovery perspective, our last year of school, we were actually heavily talking to customers, just all kinds mm. of industrial customers and trying to learn about the problems they were trying to solve. So that was kind of the origin story. And school is a very lucky place to be able to do that because you have a yeah. bit of a safety net if, um, you know, if people aren't desperate and there isn't pulls. So. And, and I know you have co-founders. So am I hearing this right? This came out of a project you were working on at Stanford? Um, it wasn't in any particular class or research lab. Okay. So we were students. So we were doing okay. everything kind of like off campus, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But my co-founders mm -hmm. were classmates of mine. Love um, it. Yeah. So the three of us kind of bonded over this problem and we felt that there was an opportunity to really help people at work, you know, use this data source in new ways. So, you know, one of my co-founders was an early product person at Samsara, mm -hmm. which is a industrial IoT company. Okay. Um, other co-founder worked in heavy industry um, in construction, actually, mm -hmm. uh, before coming to school. And he did industrial IoT as well. I was going to say, it's pretty cool in, in the manufacturing world right now. There are a lot of in vogue ways or places that are ways to get into the industry that are coming back in style, right? Like trade schools. Yeah. And I love hearing the academic examples as well. Like I said, last week's interview that, that would have aired a week ago, um, same type of thing came out of Stanford. So I don't know what's in the water at Stanford. <laughs> you guys are all uh, solving manufacturing <laughs> problems these well, days. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think for me, you know, like, I, I developed, when my career started, it was at Meraki and I was doing um, hardware development and like manufacturing. And some of the hardest problems I dealt with were the lead times to fix a manufacturing problem are actually kind of long. Software, mm. I can change a line of code and boom, I'm done. Yeah. But I had this one problem where, you know, I was working on my first product. It was an injection molded enclosure, right? And there was a new hire who was, you know, operating the machine. And the next morning, all the parts had warp, right? All the parts had warp. And, you know, the, even then it was just like, man, like if there's just a camera just looking at the machine, you would have seen that the machine was left on with a red light unattended for the whole night. And that's mm -hmm. gonna mess up all the thermals in the machine, for example. So of course, when they run the batch in the morning, 
you're having messed up thermal profiles, right? And yeah. even then, it was just like the problem felt pretty massive and it was pretty visceral. And I got some heat for that. And at school, you get the opportunity to learn about the technology piece, refresh on the technology, what's, what's cutting edge in technology, and then match it a bit. And when you're a student, you get another lucky thing, which is you can email random people and say, hey, I'm a student. I want to learn more about this problem. And it's much easier to enter a conversation with people. Like mm -hmm. they're just a lot friendlier, right? When yeah. you're a student versus I'm graduating and I'm just some dude, right? Um, so yeah. that also helped as well with customer discovery. And I think Stanford does a good job of encouraging and celebrating people mm -hmm. trying new things like this and talking to people and, you know, educating themselves, right? And learning about these new types of industries and people and problems. It's always fun seeing some of the co commonalities across manufacturing happy hour guests for sure. And, and, <laughs> and this week that commonality is Stanford, but I want to talk about some of the, the things that you're doing in spot AI specifically, because this is, this is the first time we've covered it on the show. So we we've talked about this, I think a little bit, but let's talk about manufacturing specifically, like how is video used in an industrial environment today? And then I'd love after that, we can talk about where we see it going. Yeah. Yeah, so today there are really three major buckets of use cases. Mm -hmm. And the way I divide it in my head is actually by the who, the, the persona. Who's the person accessing video in a manufacturing setting, right? The first area to look at is operations. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, for example, like if you think of printed circuit board manufacturing, AOI machines, mm -hmm. right? Like you're gonna pass a printed circuit board through this high throughput, you know, camera mounted. Right. And then you're going to be looking for, you know, defects, you know, yeah. off the mm -hmm. SMT, the, the surface mount machine, for example. That's mm -hmm. a very common area. Visual inspection is another pretty common area. Right. Um, then when you move over, you know, into, for example, you know, sheet metal or plastics manufacturing, you can often get, you know, lot sampling at the end of a build where you have a special room and then you have this machine and with these knobs and then you have a camera mounted and then you're going and looking, right? Those are a lot of the places where video and cameras is used today. Mm -hmm. um, there's also security, of course, like sure. you have surveillance cameras installed and in many manufacturing settings, they're actually installed on the outsides. They look at the parking lots, right? And the loading bays, right? Um, so, those are generally the places where you see video being used today, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's another pretty fantastic company called Instrumental, right? That's using, you know, computer vision and video a lot in manufacturing, right? So those are now the emerging use cases of video. I was smiling a little bit because Anna Katrina Shedletsky has been on the show before. Gosh, it was probably 10 or so episodes ago. But yeah, yes, yeah, instru yeah. In yeah. Instrumental uh, is another group that's doing some cool things uh, in, in the exactly. camera space. So those were great examples to news. So operations, visual inspection, sampling, security, certainly ones that I think for a lot of people, if you think about it, come come to mind. So Here's the big question. This is really the crux of the interview. How should industrial companies be reimagining video? So to me, it's about empowering more people in that industrial setting with the data source. So what we've learned is the more people you give access to video to, the more it transforms that organization. So 
this idea of surveillance in Big Brother, it's true when there's information asymmetry, when only a few people can access the video off cameras. But the moment you give it to everybody, the frontline workforce can have video walls right on the factory floor to be able to see if the drill bit has cutting oil you know, being put onto the drill bit or not, or mm -hmm. if the part is done and needs to be refixtured, right? Safety is able to use video to detect, is a stack of boxes too high, right? And is this like a safety hazard waiting to happen where you're gonna have loss of finished good inventory, right? Plus mm -hmm. you might hurt somebody, right? And then, you know, security is going to make sure, you know, and want to be able to easily use video to be able to detect was the door locked at a shift change, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you're at night, you know, no one can come in and sneak in and, you know, steal steal some inventory or work in progress inventory. So, you know, the, the key here is that giving access to the data, the video data to more and more people in the workplace, that's what drives the transformation. And then our view is whoever makes it really easy to do that, right? Mm -hmm. The systems have to be able for anybody to be able to install. My mom yeah. should be able to use the systems without any training. It should feel like YouTube to search mm -hmm. between the video, find the video, share it, right? And then as a vendor, I need to provide really good education from a marketing perspective. There mm -hmm. need to be free trials. It has to be really easy for customers to try it. Mm -hmm. And then you know, they need to be able to get premium white gloves help after they buy. Like we should be educating our customers about other stories and other use cases similar to them. So that's kind of our view on, on video intelligence is whoever will make it easy, I think will win. I, I like that you bring up the term information asymmetry, right? Because that leads to another question I have around this because we've talked about security. I think video surveillance is when you think of video, one of the first examples yeah. that comes to mind. So, and, and I think everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but you and I both know that there are plenty of people out there that probably have a negative connotation when they hear yep. surveillance, right? It's like you mentioned Big Brother earlier. So what, what type of company culture is required to make video intelligence work? You have to be lifelong learners mm -hmm. and you have to, I think, deeply believe in education. Mm. And the reason I say that is, you know, technology can be used for a bunch of different things. But mm -hmm. if you believe the world gets better and if you believe educating people on how things can be used and the impact technology can have on different stakeholders, mm -hmm. right, is important, then that's the culture I think you want, right? Yeah. Like you want, you know, if you're using camera systems to surveil your workforce, I mean, You've probably heard about trained labor shortages a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. all the I mean, time, every man, week. <laughs> but here's the thing, man. Like, do you think the best people are going to go want to work at a company where, you know, you're being surveilled and micromanaged and like, you know, you have to show up at, you know, eight o'clock in 10 milliseconds and right. like, like you're not going to retain the best people. You're not going to empower the best people. Mm -hmm. So we have a role to play as a vendor in educating our customer and educating the market on what technologies like this can do and what it means for every persona in that workplace. Mm -hmm. So from a company culture perspective, you need there to be a belief in education, a belief in learning, a belief in sharing knowledge with other people, right? Mm -hmm. Versus, hey, here's a product, use it how you want. All right, you know, you paid us, we're done, right? Mm -hmm. Like that isn't going to work. I think you bring up some some great points. It's about education. Um, again, going back to 
making sure this is information that's available to all stakeholders, not necessarily just management. I think that's the, the simple example to say in that case. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Obvious Ventures. Obvious is a venture capital firm investing in purpose-driven entrepreneurs who are harnessing technology to reimagine every sector of the economy. We're talking about the basic building blocks of society and life, from food to mobility to healthcare, finance, marketing, energy, and more. But let's get specific. Obvious has invested in companies that are taking manufacturing and supply chain technologies to the next level especially robotic startups like Canvas, and even ones that have been featured on this show before, like Dexterity. Want to learn more? Well, past Manufacturing Happy Hour guest, Nan Lee, who leads Obvious's work in robotics and industrial automation, is hosting a new podcast called Machine Visions that dives into these topics headfirst through interviews with industry leaders and startups. You can find Machine Visions wherever you get your podcasts or you can visit them at obvious.com. And now, back to today's episode. I mean, you've given us a good overview of what video is being used for today, what this could look like in the future. I'd love to put this in the context of a specific example that you could share of how this has helped a company evolve or transform. Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a large direct-to-consumer wine distributor mm -hmm. um, in the Napa Valley area. They're a customer of ours. And they have five distribution facilities kind of all across the U.S. Mm -hmm. And kind of the biggest main hub is in Napa, of course. Yep. And they will ship out anywhere from 25,000 to 40,000 boxes of wine a day, every single day. And I don't know about you, but like, you know, you made that example about, you know, what bar would you want to be in and, you know, what you would drink. That's very nostalgic for me, too, because for two years I haven't been able to travel and it ah, kind of sucks. Yes. Right. <laughs> but what's been happening is alcohol consumption in the home has skyrocketed. Like, I'm yep. guilty of this. Yeah. Right? Oh, I'm saying. And, <laughs> and this wine distributor, man, they got 10 years of Kager. They got 10 years of growth compressed wow. into like one year. So wow. think about a company that's growing whatever, two to 3% every year, and mm -hmm. boom, in one year, their demand just explodes. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, throughput, and them making sure that every box of wine goes on the truck is yeah. one of the core drivers of their business actually operating because they have so much of a backlog that if they fall behind, they don't have any ability to recover and catch up. Mm -hmm. So this customer of ours, right, they had a night shift where one night, the director of operations gets a call and the call is like, hey, you know, the conveyor belt system all broke. We're going to have to call off the shifts. Right. And I'm going to need to send everyone home. And he said, hold on, wait a second. Like, let's use spot. Let's see what's going on. Let's figure out what's happening and how this happened. How did the belt stop? Mm -hmm. So he goes into spot. Right. He's at his home. Right. Like sitting on his bed. Right. He's in a few seconds, he's able to instantly go to the conveyor belt, digitally zoom into the conveyor belt, find exactly when that belt stopped. Right. Mm. And then figure out, you know, was there a tear in the belt? Did a nail snag the belt? Was there a power issue or power outage? Right. Mm -hmm. Did merchandise get askew and jam the belt? Right. Mm -hmm. And he, he was able to figure out that there was actually a solvable maintenance issue 
around the actual belt rollers and then call the maintenance person on the other side of the warehouse, share the video with them and say, hey, we don't have to call off the shift. Go check this out. I think we've had this problem before. He looks at it, no problem. They fix it in a few minutes and the line is running again, right? And that's an example of video intelligence in action, right? Where you had a few different stakeholders interact with the video and he was able to root cause a manufacturing and a process problem, for example. Not only was that a super clear example, I appreciate you doing something on theme with the the manufacturing happy hour vibe. So, you know, I normally yeah. ask for a beer bar example, but hey, we love yeah. wine here at the show as well. So awesome. No, that was, love it. That was that was great. So, you know, I, I have another technical question before I ask you a little bit about how your company's evolving, but we, we got to talk about cybersecurity here as well. We're talking videos, we're leveraging video for you know, and I think cybersecurity has always been a focus around video in general, but what cybersecurity measures need to be considered when you're putting together a more robust, let's say a more actionable video intelligence system? Yeah, so this is a great question. So you have to start with the end user and work backwards. Mm -hmm. So there are different end users that are gonna need access to video at different times. So the first thing you need is you need a security architecture that can enable IT to turn on and turn off access to video, right? Very, very, very easily. So for example, modern enterprises will have identity providers. So what I mean by this is you might use G Suite, you might use mm -hmm. Office 365, you might have your own custom system, right? And those serve as the identities of users in the org. You have to make it absolutely seamless for that to integrate with your video intelligence system. Right. And then IT can say, okay, this new hire left the company or this hire, you know, just moved to a different location or shouldn't have access. They can very easily turn it off. Right. Mm. Second, in the modern web, the way you think about encryption and the way you think about transfer of data has to be modern and it has to be SaaS, like software as a service. It has to be getting better every two to four weeks. It can't be mm -hmm. static. So yeah. how you approach end-to-end -end encryption has to be thoughtful and how you encroach like at rest disk encryption, right? Mm -hmm. So we focus on that as well. Three, I'm a believer that compute is gonna move to the video before video moves up to the cloud where the compute is. And mm -hmm. this is for security reasons and cost structure reasons. Mm -hmm. So the third ingredient of cybersecurity is you need what's called a zero trust security architecture. And what this basically means is you're not trusting any particular user to actually have access to the video they're trying to get to. You mm -hmm. wanna be able to integrate in like two-factor auth, like get a little text on a second device like a phone, right? Yeah. And I provide customers a way for them to privately store their video wherever they want. So mm -hmm. no video will go in our cloud if the customer doesn't want it because what they're paying for is a nice, easy to use dashboard. So we actually right. provide customers an appliance like a mm -hmm. cloud managed appliance that they can plug and play in their location. It has mm -hmm. hard drives in it, right? Yeah. And all the video is locally stored there. It's redundant, it's encrypted. And then if they wanna back it up into the cloud, it's their option. They can export it, they can do whatever they want with it. But an important cybersecurity tenant of ours is it's not our data, right? Mm. It's not yeah. our video, it's the customer's video and they're entitled to use it however they wanna use it. And yeah. we're gonna make sure it's extremely secure for them. So for example, we have some customers that require CMMC compliance. So these are mm -hmm. manufacturing customers that supply into the defense uh, supply chain. Yep. And yep. what we do for them is we say, man, like 
none of that video will ever touch the cloud, right? Yeah. We're like a telephone switchboard operator and all that video is being locally stored privately behind your firewall in your factory. Now, mm -hmm. if you need to locally access the video, no video is going to go to the cloud. It'll just go straight into whatever user device, phone, tablet, desktop, laptop, whatever. And that's the other important cybersecurity component is you have to empower them to keep the data where they want to keep the data, but enable them to solve the workflow and then mm -hmm. enable a switch so they can revoke access. Love the level of detail there. C, uh, wait, CMMC, this is not the first time that's come back up on the show. We yeah. actually talked about that recently. So a lot of good themes rolling through. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to switch things up here because I want to ask about, you know, some recent news in your business because there have been some cool things happening for Spot AI recently. Most notably, a couple of months back, you got your Series A, 20 million funding round. So my first question is, what's it like coming out of stealth mode? We haven't talked uh, about stealth yeah. mode ever on the show before. And you guys you guys were incognito for a while. What's it like when you enter into the world? It's like, this is what we're doing. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to give you the honest answer. Okay. Which is, I thought that it would be this like, you know, like think of like, you know, the 80s or 90s. It's like, you know, you're a rock star and like, you know, you're live and there's a red carpet and like, you know, like everyone's giving you high fives and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm following. <laughs> no. And it, man, it was, it was the polar opposite. Um, sure. And sure. the reason is because, you know, where we play is a very, very large market. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world of such narrow attention. Like, I don't know if you use TikTok or Twitter, or any of these apps, like, man, I'm on a reel and I'm just sitting on my bed and like, boom, half hours passed and I'm not spending more than yeah. 10 seconds looking mm -hmm. at a piece of content. Mm -hmm. So our attention has narrowed so much that news, it comes in spikes. And I look yeah. at it, I make some view and then boom, I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. So coming out of stealth, it's like you're, you're, you're trying to you know, help customers in pain and help customers that are trying to move to this end state. And I yeah. view the first announcement out of Stealth as a beginning of a 10-year journey to yeah. continue to educate our customer about the problems, you know, that they're trying to solve and then, you know, give examples of other customers or other use cases. So coming out of Stealth, it's like, it wasn't really much of a pop or a bang, but I view it as a mm -hmm. beginning of a very sustained strategy uh, sure. to be able to, you know, tell the story of our customer to other customers. And if it resonates with people, they'll talk to us. If it doesn't, yeah. hopefully they learn something new, right? I, I love a story like that, right? You have all these visions of glamour and like you said, the red carpet. And usually <laughs> it's just one of many things that's hitting someone's radar. And you know, yeah. some are going to pay yeah. attention longer than others, right? The, uh, the good news for you is you're on a podcast today. So this means today we have everyone's attention for <laughs> 30 to 40 yeah. minutes. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And hope. Hopefully people have fun with this and, and learn a thing or two. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking so too. This is this is this has been a good conversation. Back to the 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 funding round, right? This is a question I ask everyone that's gotten a funding yeah. round recently. How do you lead through growth when all of a sudden you've been given the opportunity and financial means to scale? Yeah. So the first thing is it's a tremendous gift to be able to get that because mm -hmm. it enables you to be able to serve your customer with more velocity and more force, right? Mm -hmm. So the hardest part about leading through growth is, you know, we've only been in market for one year, right? And, you know, we, 
you know, we've scaled from zero to hundreds of customers and thousands of users over the past year. Now, when you add your first couple customers, like I was the SE, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I was doing support. Like, like it's, it's very scrappy and bootstrappy and hands-on. And like, I can scale quality because I'm losing sleep if like, you know, there's a problem with the system and the customer's complaining, right? Mm -hmm. Now the question becomes for growth, in five years, you know, we're going to be at 30,000 customers. How do you yeah. scale that quality and that customer delight to that scale? And there you have to think about how do you empower other people to be able yeah. to come in with this mission and mandate? You're getting totally out of the way and you're giving them the tools and context they need to win and deliver value to the customer. Because mm -hmm. this impacts the entire customer journey, marketing, sales, pre-sales, right? Yep. Actual selling, post-sales, product engineering right? Support everything. And that is extremely hard to do. So leading through growth when you get all this money, I mean, you, you have to spend it. And it's mm -hmm. not as simple as just hiring people. You, you need to figure out how you build systems of scale. Like how do you make sure there yeah. are customer feedback loops, right? Mm -hmm. So a customer can complain about a problem. You know, we have a new CSM, a customer support manager, they hear about the problem yeah. and they're proactively empowered to do whatever mound they have to move to solve that problem. And I never mm -hmm. hear about it, right? Yeah. That is a healthy org. And yes. building that from scratch when you're so used to just jumping on the fires yourself is actually very, very hard to do. I can imagine the mental shift there. I, I heard a couple things in that answer and it's one, you got to have the systems there, but two, it's about empowerment. And then yep. also like getting out of the way for the first time where you're not hearing about everything. So I can only imagine what, uh, what that, sh that, what that shift is like. So no, it's, it's cool to see the success that uh, spot AI is having. I've enjoyed learning about you today. Uh, what's one question you wish I would have asked you that we haven't covered in this conversation yet. Huh? Actually, can I ask you a question? Go for it. I love it when it gets flipped. <laughs> so you started in a technical role, then you moved into like SE, like sales engineering and pre-sales, right? And like, you know, you've transitioned your career, right? From being like an engineer, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're in TBP, like you're, you know, very technical guy, right? Through sales and then, you know, like, I'm curious, like, what's one thing that, like, what's the biggest lesson that you learned about delivering new technologies into industries that are tra traditional. And I say traditional because if you strike sure. the pain, you can actually get there with a lot of velocity. What's yeah. the one thing you've learned about selling to underserved customers, right? That, mm. you know, don't have, you know, they, it's, you know, I go home on an iPad and I'm watching Netflix and doing all this cool stuff. And then I go to work and it's a time machine using a shop yeah. floor system, right? Like, I'm curious, what have you learned in your career about the art of sales, you know, to a customer that has serious mega dollar problems, but, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it takes time to get those technologies uptake. Yeah. You know what I would say? I, I think there's there's a mix. I love this question, by the way. This is always fun when, when I'm on the other side of the mic answering a question. But one <laughs> yeah. of the first things that comes to mind is you got to meet them where they are, right? Digital yeah. transformations don't happen overnight, right? Typically, they're going to start with one habit or one small change. I, I think the biggest thing that not only being as an engineer and then as a salesperson, as a podcaster now as well, 
I look at a lot of these changes as you just got to, you got to have the right system in place where you can develop a habit, right? Like habit. start with one digital transformation. Like uh, an easy example for me is I, I work with fixed software right now, yep. you know, start with yeah. a CMMS system first. That's an easy way to digitally transform your maintenance before digitally transforming and tying into your ERP system, yep. right? There yep. are a lot of yep. different yep. baby steps you can take along the way. So uh, to answer that question, it's about looking for an area where you can develop a habit and start doing something consistently well. And then I think back to a point that you made earlier about, again, I've said it a couple times, but I love your information asymmetry example, because I think it highlights the importance of communication and trust, right? You need to be communicating the intention early and often, right? And you want to say, hey, this new system is going to make your life easier. We're not putting it in place to judge your work. We're making it so that way you'll have a tool that allows you to do things better. And by the way, if there are areas for improvement, we're going to work on that as a team. Um, so it comes yeah. down to not only that communication, but that culture there as well. I don't know if that answered your question. Was that? It did. Uh, did, that, did that, okay. No, it did. Okay. No, it did. Because I, yeah, because my, my answer to that question is you don't know anything about the customer's world until you ask them. And as a technologist, you can come in with all these mm -hmm. cool gizmos and gadgets, but Simple things like ease of install is an enormous yeah. barrier in an industrial setting. I mean, these things take yeah. are very hard to implement. And the barriers mm -hmm. and friction to adoption oftentimes start in just installing systems and communicating value in an authentic way, right? And it can take time to do that, right? You got to earn the trust. It's always interesting looking at the difference between hardware and software, right? We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, you know, when I yeah. think of, uh, again, trying to get someone to do something that's easy first, software is a real easy spot to start where you're saying, hey, this solution can solve your problem, right? And you yep. can turn it on really quickly because it's software, yep. right? Where it's, we're on the hardware side where you're saying, hey, this hardware solution can solve your problem. It takes a little longer to see that problem get solved just based on the nature of it. So, yeah. Man, this is a this is a good jam to wrap the interview on. I wish yeah, more of my I guests agree. would uh, would flip it on me. I, I <laughs> you know, we're 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 coming up on the clock here, so I do want to uh, give give the mic back to you one more time. So, in addition to the twenty million funding round, I know you have some other exciting news on how you're going to market with your cameras and your solutions today as well. Yeah. So, you know, any business in America, we're offering free cameras to. And mm -hmm. these are what are called NDAA compliant cameras. So what does that mean? It means basically that the government has certified these cameras to be cyber secure and safe from hackers. Mm -hmm. And we, our belief as a company is the value we provide customers is through the quality of our customer service and software. The hardware is a commodity. So any customers that are impacted by this government regulation or looking for more cybersecurity cameras, we will give them away for free. Customers can keep them. And the onus is on us to deliver value through software. So it's a it's an Oprah moment, basically, you know, free free camera giveaway. I love um, it. You know, any business that wants them. Well, I, you know, as I was thinking about this, we were we were on a good jam there for a second. So you were asking me what what I see from customers. I'm curious, what do you see from people adopting the video thing these days yeah. as well. I, I can't end this interview with that without asking what you're seeing as you're trying to transform yeah. the industry as well. Man, they teach us. Yeah. Every assumption I had about how they'd use these things has been wrong. So we learn about our product roadmap, not from new customers that we're about to acquire. It's from mm -hmm. our existing customers. So they might yeah. start as once in six month users of video before us. They turn yeah. 
from that to monthly users, to weekly users, to daily users. And mm -hmm. you look at these adoption and usage curves. So our customers are teaching us about what they're using it for. So we get weird stuff like, for example, there's a very large satellite internet provider in the, mm -hmm. uh, globally, and they use Spot to detect frosting on their antennas, right? Mm. And it's the most bizarre use case. Like, how could I have predicted that use case? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there there yeah, are only so, so many things you can prepare for. It's exactly. So we get very surprised by our customers, what they're using cameras for in mm -hmm. these industrial settings. That That's one example. It's it, There's really quirky stuff. And we're like, okay, like that, that's really, really interesting. And I don't know, like it's, we get surprised by them every day. Yeah. It's, it's funny when I think back to my time at, at university, right? One of the elements that almost got dismissed from our senior design project by us as students, right? Was the customer feedback portion. We're like, yeah. whatever, we're engineering students. We obviously know everything, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, as I think back now over <laughs> the course of the past like decade of my career, it's like, wow, that was like the singular most important lesson of, of <laughs> yeah. the whole thing, right? Because if your yeah. customers don't have a problem or don't have a yeah. pain or they think something yeah. should be this way rather than that way, you could design something that looks great and is cool techno yeah. technologically, but might not Won't do matter. anything. So, what what was your senior design project? I'm curious. Uh, an anaerobic digester, actually, for oh uh, underserved. Yeah, it was more of a civil engineering project, wow. actually. So. Yeah, we were taking food, turning it into energy. <laughs> wow. We uh we did it in the boiler room. I I can't I don't think it was the actual boiler room, but a very removed <laughs> part of campus where uh oh my God. the smell didn't bother anyone else. But that's insane. So you just like threw a bunch of worms in the like uh like I don't know how this stuff works. We were we were taking leftover food from like the local local campus restaurants and uh turn it turning that into gas. It's a long <laughs> time in the rear view mirror, but no, that was I think the wow. the customer centric aspects were, you know, especially going into a career in sales right away after that yeah. were were some of the biggest takeaways. So right on. well, I, I appreciate all the insights. I appreciate the candid conversation here at the end. I think uh, I hope folks enjoy this uh, episode, uh, especially with some of the little differences that we've seen before. But it's cool seeing you solve the problem for the industry, particularly on the video side. And with that, Tanuj, I just want to thank you for jumping on today's show. Thank you very much, Chris. Have a good one. Cheers. Hey, thank you, thank you for listening. And thank you to Tanuj and the whole Spot AI crew for making this episode possible. We've been talking about doing this one for a number of months. Glad we were finally able to make it happen as we are jumping into the new year, 2022. As always, you can access resources mentioned in this episode like Spot AI by heading over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 75 to visit the show notes for this episode. This also includes Brass Monkey should you ever find yourself in Taipei looking for a bar. It's funny that we've talked about folks that have come through Stanford in these past couple episodes, right? Literally two weeks in a row, we've had Bay Area-based folks, which is actually where our sponsor for today's episode is based as well. Obvious Ventures is a venture capital firm investing in entrepreneurs that are reimagining every sector of the global economy. They help transform legacy industries like manufacturing, industrial materials, from pharmaceuticals to protein therapy, you name it. 
And if you haven't checked it out yet, their managing director, Nan Lee, was just featured on episode 71 of Manufacturing Happy Hour, but they also just launched their own five-part podcast called Machine Visions. If you want to dive into robotics, automation, and the future of these industries, I'd highly recommend giving that a listen. To learn more about Obvious Ventures and the Machine Visions podcast, make sure to tune into episode 71 or head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash obvious for everything we've talked about with these folks. Thank you so much, Obvious Ventures, for sponsoring this show. One final message, I said this at the start, if you want to join a community of manufacturing leaders that are constantly helping one another elevate their career, find business opportunities, think about joining the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to your group. I would recommend connecting with me on LinkedIn first, shooting me a message, and then requesting to join the group. I will let you write in if you say you heard about it on this show. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community to join a group of over 500 manufacturing leaders today. And that's it for this week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.